This morning we're going to start in Matthew chapter 5 again. We're going to do verses 17 through 19. So we're taking bigger pieces because it's, we're able to. We're not going one beatitude at a time. Um, Jesus has quite a bit to say in these short <laughs> three verses. And I will never be able to explain it all to you perfectly in the amount of time that we have or probably in my life. Because exactly what he did was, was, a, it was a really big deal. And it's hard for us to fathom and understand what Christ actually did. So, Father, we thank you again for another time to be in your word, God. Thank you for those who are here. And, Father, those who aren't able to be here, Lord, you know the reason. If it might be in, in their spirit, Lord, if they're fighting something. Father, if it's, if it's in their physical body, Lord, if it's emotional. God, you made us to be creatures who can feel. But, Lord, you've asked us to, to lean on you, to walk according to your ways, Lord, to stay in the spirit and you would help us through this life. God, teach us daily how to do that, Lord. Remind us what we're supposed to do and how to be mindful. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So starting in 5 and 17, we're going to read 17 through 19, and then we'll, we'll go over it. It says in verse 17, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. There's a lot of truths in here that we're going to go over. <clears throat> we're going to start with the first one, as we should. First, do not think that I came to abolish or to completely do away with. You know what abolish means? Slavery was abolished. But the difference between Jesus, whenever he came to abolish, he literally did it. Abolitionists fought for the abolishment of slavery, and it was years later in some places before they ever even knew that slavery had been abolished, like Texas. There were certain territories in certain places. It had been abolished judicially, by the mouth of man, but it it doesn't spread everywhere at one time. That's what we've been learning about the attributes of God at night. What do we know? That God is spirit and God is omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's all of these things. So when God does something, when Christ did that, it was done. When he said on the cross, it is finished, it was done. That's the awesome thing that we have. It is truly finished. It's not that some people know or little pockets know. Everything has been done all at once in an instant. <clears throat> so what did Jesus do in that instance? Jesus fulfilled the moral, judicial, and ceremonial law. There's three types of law that we see in the Old Testament. Moral, morality, which is still now. Jesus Christ perfected the moral law. The very idea that... Um, you cannot believe in anything and have a moral code is an impossibility. That's just the reality of it. Your moral code has to be based on something. Because if there's nothing, then you nothing should bother you. You should be able to do whatever you want, whenever you want, and never have a problem with it. Because why, why, why? If everything else was created and you were created by happenstance, then what does it matter what happens to any, anything else? There's no value to it. It just happened. Well, that's not the reality of it. That's the moral law. Christ, he obeyed every commandment in righteousness. He only did what the Father told him, which you and I cannot say. Can't say we ever did. Can't say we ever will. We'll never do exactly what we're supposed to because we cannot walk in perfection. Because 
sin in our lives. The residual sin that's left over, that's just the reality that each and every one of us has. The, the judicial law, the ju think about the, the Levitical law, all the laws, all the things that had to be done, the judges, we'll, we'll talk about that later. It was the law as far as judicial, right? Trying people, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We learned that literally is what it said in the Old Testament. All right, then we, we'll get later on where we'll see where Jesus alludes to and actually tells you that he never, God never wanted divorce. He never did. He, he appeased the people by allowing Moses to give a letter. To, like it never was intended to be this way. And so Ainsley, we had this conversation because of Tuesday night. They, came, they were at the house when we went back. I wish you were here to listen to it because she asked a couple questions that this answers. Why does Jesus say things that we're, gonna, we're about to get into starting in verse 21? Why is Jesus talking about things that were said in the Old Testament, but he's changing them? They're no longer physical. They're now spiritual. In other words, I don't have to actually physically do it. I can do it in my mind, which is governed by supposed to be governed by the Spirit of God, and it's a sin. Why is that? Because here's the reality of it. All that we should have ever had to have, that's what this word teaches, all we ever needed was the Ten Commandments. God was not worried about you being obedient. He was worried about your heart. It wasn't about what you said with your mouth. If you truly followed Him, if you truly loved Him, then your heart would be set for God. It wouldn't be set against Him, and it wouldn't be any need for this. In other words, God made it easier Easier, easier. Jesus Christ came and perfected the law. He fulfilled the law. And that's the scary part for people now in this world. They're without excuse because the Word says that, because Jesus Christ has been here. But these were learned individuals that knew everything about the Old Testament. The whole Old Testament speaks of a Messiah. And every single thing that it says Messiah will do, Jesus Christ did it. And yet there's, he's standing right in front of them, and they killed him for it. So what did he do? He came and fulfilled. He made a fullness of what it was. The last one was he ceremonial, the ceremonial law. We don't sacrifice things anymore. There's no need to. There's no need for a Levitical priesthood. There's no need for a lot of the foolishness that we see in other religions. It's not ignorance that they do it. It's out of stupidity because the Word literally says this is the way that we conduct things. This is the order. And we go to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, which is what we're studying in our, in our group whenever we meet as pastors and teachers. And it tells you exactly how to do everything in the order and the way you should do it, and yet people don't do it. Ceremonial, fulfilled through His death on the cross. The same way with judicial. He fulfilled all of this by his death on the cross with the judicial. Israel's apostasy, they killed the Savior of the world. They killed the one that was foretold that the, all their forefathers had spoken of. They killed every prophet that ever spoke the truth about who God was, about the Christ that was coming. They killed every one of them. But Jesus Christ came and fulfilled all that. And in that fulfillment, people say, well, he made things a lot harder on us. Really? Uh, 610, 603 traditional traditions of man, they're gone now. That's what you have to understand. That ceremonial law is gone. That's why we can eat the things we eat. That's why we can enjoy the things we enjoy. That's why we're not held to a standard. 603 mitzvahs, are we held to the Ten Commandments? Yes. 
But those other rules that man made so that man could live out, they, all they did was make things easier on themselves because that's what man does. Kind of like the list that we saw. That's a man making things easier on them, trying to get people to comply and stay in line with what their ideology is. Like Brother Scott said, of those 140-something rules for that church, some of them were really good rules. It, but they were good They were good for the individual, but they were definitely good for the ministry. That was all selfishness. Every bit of that that was written was to benefit those who were in power. That's, that's not the way. Christ came and died so that none of that would matter, so that all of that legalism wouldn't matter. That's why when ceremonial and judicial, when it went, the legalism's gone now. It's not about that. It better be, it better be about something deeper because verse 20 next year, next week, we're going to see if, if your righteousness is not greater than the Pharisees, you're not going to heaven. And he's trying to explain that to them right now in this uh, Isaiah 29 and 13. <clears throat> if you want to turn there, if you have your Bible, I'm, we're going to read it. And then we're going to Isaiah 29 and 13. This is the great thing. The whole of the Bible speaks of Christ and explains all of this stuff that we're talking about. The people's confidence was in tradition. And that's what religion is, guys. And there's a lot of people today, their confidence is not in Jesus Christ. It's in a man. It's in a man's word and it's in man's tradition because they think if they can hold to the tradition of the elders and those who have gone on before them, they're going to go to heaven. But that is not true. That is not true. In 13, it says, Then the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me, and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. No, that's not what this is about. That's why we've even said this, and I agree with it. What we're doing today can become tradition. It can become, rote is the way that we learn math. We used to learn math. Four times four is... Four times three is, two times two is. That's rote memorization. In other words, you say it, I know what to do. That's why we see a lot of falsity. Somebody sings a song in church or somebody sings a special, and every single time they sing that special, you already know exactly where they're going to insert this. It's not, you're not being moved by the Spirit, guys. You're trying to evoke something, and that's what God is saying. It's, that's not your job. Your job is not to try and make something happen. Your job is not to follow a tradition. What you're supposed to be doing is your heart is supposed to be set on me. The things you say and the things you do make outwardly everybody, it seems like you're right. You're right with me, but you're not. How often have we seen that? Everybody in here has seen that at least a dozen times. And it's not real. It's not reality. God doesn't want that. He doesn't even want, like you said, he, what does he want more, sacrifice or obedience? He'd much rather have your obedience. Why? Because ceremonial law doesn't even matter anymore. The only sacrifice he asks for is, is you. What is your reasonable service? That's it. That's all he's looking for. Matthew 15, 1 through 12. <clears throat> this, is, this is God's true standard. And the Lord, uh, yet again, I hope that someday whenever I speak and say things, I can do it the way that he did it and Although it's an offensive thing, it doesn't seem to offend people as bad. It's the truth spoken with salt and light. It, this, is, this is contrasting tradition and commandment. Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? 
For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition? <laughs> so that's just like teaching apostasy, which is, that's one of the worst things is, is to teach a false gospel. Why, why does it matter if I am baptized this way or this way or I speak this way or I dress this way? or I, All those things are traditions. Should I be covered? The Word talks about that. I should be. But there's absolutely nothing in this Word that says that if I don't have a three-piece suit that I'm not going to go to heaven. But it's, that's the way that this works, sadly. It really is. So he goes on and he says, For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And again, and he answered and said, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandments of God for the sake of tradition? For God said, Honor your mother and father, your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father and mother is to be put to death. But you, whoever say to his father and mother, Whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. So here's the thing. These people would have an inheritance, or they would have money. And what they would do is they, would, they wouldn't spend it. They wouldn't give it to the church, but they would say, I've got, let's just say for myself, I've got $20,000 in savings. I'm going to give that to the church. I commit this $20,000 to the church. I'm not going to, and I don't touch it. And in the meantime, my mom and dad need something. But I've already committed that to the church. But the reality is I'm going to spend it on myself once they're dead. You're using good things. You're using the things of God in a wicked and evil way. What's more important? What's more important is doing what the commandments of God say. He says, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. He is not to honor his mother or his father or mother. And by this, you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. The hypocrites rightly did, Isaiah, prophesy to you. But people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Y'all, now I'm just being honest, like even here, because I truly believe that after the last almost four years of this ministry and the, the hours, the months that we've spent pouring through the Word of God and looking for the truth, it's not about tradition. It's not about our bylaws. It's not about those things. You better have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You better know what the actual truth is. Because at the end of that, when he says that, teachings as doctrines, the precepts of men, when someone tells you something and they say this is doctrine, if it doesn't align with the Word of God, y'all, it's not doctrine. We don't have the authority and the power to add doctrine to the Word of God. It is what it is, but people will. Just as we saw with all that list of things that they're supposed to do in there, and that is commandments to them. That is their doctrine. Their doctrine is 148 precepts that they've created and said you must align with, and if you don't, you're excommunicated from the church. And here's the other thing. If we see at the bottom, it says don't worry about remembering them because we'll tell you that you're wrong, but at the same time, there's many more. They're, they're reverting back to what the, Judy, the Jews did. We cannot do that. We can't be legalistic because legalism drives people away. It pushes people out. It says, you're not like me. You're, this is cookie cutter. You have to be like me to be here. That is not right. People should have the freedom because Jesus Christ says himself, people have the freedom to worship God in their way as long as it's in what? Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. Some people watch football and have a fit the whole time they watch it. Some people just enjoy watching the game and they find it relaxing. Get this. Some people watch football 
for relaxation. Some people watch football and they just about have a stroke. Right? Guess what? Worship is the same way. People have different feelings when they're in the presence of God. Sometimes it's reverent. Sometimes you can't do anything but just put your head down because you're in the presence of a holy God. And truly in that moment you realize that he's doing something that you've asked and you've prayed for for years, maybe decades. Then there's other times where it happens and your response is totally different. You can't help but worship him in that moment outwardly. But it's the same thing just happened. It wasn't with your lips, it was with your heart. You truly were seeking God and he sees what's on the inside, not what's on the outside. That's all he's looking for is a genuine worship. What is that to you? What does that look like? And here's the thing. It's different for everyone. So whenever you go into a situation and you already put on someone, well, if you don't, if you don't do it just like this, well, you're not worshiping God. Well, I'm already, I'm already at a lack because I already feel if I don't raise my hand, if I don't lift my voice, if I don't run around, if I don't, whatever it might be, then I'm not even going to fit in. I may as well go find somewhere else. No, God sent people. The Lord sends you to a place because he has something there for you. But, but that thing can look like two ways. When someone's truly seeking truth, sometimes he sends you to places so you can see what the truth isn't. That's just a reality. Not everywhere that you're brought is always going to be truth. But then there's times where he brings you to a place and you find that truth. Hold on to that truth. That, I mean, we, we were talking this morning about church hurt and all of those types of things. That's where a lot of that comes from is foolishness. It's not about what the Word of God says. It's about what I saith. So saith pastor. That's, that doesn't make any sense. Unless it's biblical and you can come to me and show me in the Word of God, you have no right. You have no right to go against a person. But it makes it hard because people put a pastor, I did it myself, on a pedestal and you can't touch him. It's impossible to touch him. And then he himself, what he says, he gets to a point to where he really thinks that what he says is the true word of God. Well, if I say it, it must be right because I align with God. And the dangerous part is where we are right here. This is why they kill Christ is if you go against me, then you go against God. Well, you just made your own self God because that's not right. And then you go to a man or a person in the church and you say, but the word says right here, doesn't matter what the word says. That's what God told me. Wrong. Get away. Get thee behind me, Satan, just as Brother Nicky says. Because that's not what this just said. That is not how this works. In, in verse 10, after Jesus called the crowd to him, he said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth. This defiles the man. Then he says, Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? <laughs> well, yeah, because he knew everything. But can you imagine saying that? It says, But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if the blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. You need to know the word of God. You need to live your life according to the word of God, not according to what I say or what the pastor says or what a deacon says or what anybody else you know says, your mama or your grandpa or your mom or your daddy. You live the, out the word of God because it's what you know it says. And then whenever you have a problem or you don't fully understand it, because guess what? That's a reality, especially when you got Paulisms because Pauline writings are just... <laughs> then you go and you talk and you reason those things out amongst yourselves. 
because the word says we're to reason these things together, come to a conclusion, and then we live our life based on those principles. On the principles of what? That's just like, here's the thing that we have to grasp before we get into the next part of this in Matthew is, guys, every one of these things that Christ says are commandments. The Sermon on the Mount are commandments. Everything that Jesus Christ ever spoke in all of the Gospels are commandments. They're not just, well, This, if you add this to your life, like Joel Osteen, it'll be your best life now if you add this to it. No, if you don't add that to your life, if that's not who you are, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And he says it over and over and over. Why does it matter that he came to fulfill the law? Because he is the law. He is the perfect law of liberty. James 2 and 12, in the end you will be judged by the perfect law of liberty. What would you be judged by? By the metric of Jesus Christ. Are you serious? Yes. Oh my goodness, then I got some work to do. Yeah, that's why God filled you with His Spirit. That's why He sent you fellow believers. Iron sharpens iron. That's why you're supposed to be with one another. That's why we fellowship. That's why we do the things we do. Because guess what? We're all in this thing together and we're all held to that standard. Now, what will we produce? 30, 60, 100. But I hate to tell you, we're all held to that standard. The standard of being a Christian, which is Christ-like. <clears throat> Romans 8 and 3. It's through the Spirit and not the flesh. I, I love Romans. That's where we are in our evening. And it's slow, but it's slow for a purpose. There's a lot of conversation. And one of the things about our evening groups, and if you go to the ladies, it's the same way. In your evening groups is when we learn about one another. It's not so much. We already know what Romans says. The, most of us already know it because we've read it. But it's in those conversations, because we've, we've dealt with this already. It's in those conversations where someone says something and it doesn't align with the Word of God. And we, set, we reason and we set one another straight. Or someone says, hey, I don't understand what that means. And as a collective group of people, we sit and we talk about those things. We are building relationships. We're learning about one another. That's the fellowship aspect. That's the discipleship. Because I do understand that there's a ministry at this church. And our job is to be ministers. But guess what? When you're here, you're being discipled. Okay? So that when you leave here, you can be the ministry and the ambassadors of Christ in this world. The ministry here is discipling you. Supposed to be. Through the Word of God, you're being ministered to. Those who are saved, born again, full of the Spirit of God, you're being discipled every time you come here ministered to, I understand we're ministering spirits, the ministry of reconciliation, that's the main thing though, see that's, that's everybody's job, the ministry of reconciliation means it's not about what happens this morning, it's about what happens tomorrow, it's about what happens when you leave here and you go to Walmart, that's the ministry of reconciliation, that is all of our jobs collectively, people don't like that, well the ministry is the ministry and the ministry gets paid and the ministry's been called so the ministry does the work wrong. The ministry disciples you. The, the ministry feeds you. And then you, as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, go out and do the ministry, ministry of reconciliation. But you know what? That doesn't happen. Because the only time ministry happens is today for most people. And they're only being ministered to. Because that's what people feel. No, no, this is not what this is just about. Jesus didn't come to fulfill the law and do away with all this stuff just so you could be saved. It's much greater than that. You're supposed to be a mirror image of him and spread that salvation story gospel to everybody. That's our job. 
But that's not what happens most of the time, sadly. Romans chapter 8, verse 3. <clears throat> For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. That's what his coming was. What did he fulfill? Everything. He fulfilled everything. Without Christ, we would have zero hope. Our hope is solely in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, 14 through 22. And then we'll move to the next piece. Ephesians 2, 14. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. All right, so how did he fulfill the law? Right there. He broke down the wall between us and God because there was a veil. And that veil in between there was, we, we had a veil between us and the Lord. L-O-R, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, as R-C says, that Lord. Okay, but Jesus Christ broke that down. That partition was broken. And when it was, now we have the access to God again, like literally have access to him. It says, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. You see that? So that in himself he might make the two in one new man, thus establishing peace. It might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Thank God for that. He broke down that wall. The law is the law is the law. The law is what convicts us of sin. It's why we know that we're sinners. But he made a way for us to overcome the law because there was no way. It was an impossibility. He is the fullness of what God intended the law to be. Grace. I wish I had written it down, but I didn't. But God, even speaking, Jesus speaking and God speaking to them, his whole sole purpose for his chosen people was to do what he asked, asked the church to do. It was to spread his gospel. It was to spread his word throughout all of the known world at that time. But they did not. And because they didn't, that's why we were grafted in. Because he created a church. He made sure there would be a church that would forward his word. And his son came and died so that that could be done. So that we might have grace. That's why he was so mad at them. Christ was angry with them at times, and so was the Lord, because he's like, yeah, you have all of this, but where's the grace at? Like, even in the Old Testament, guys, go back and study it. He asked them, where's, your, where's the mercy? Where's the mercy in all of this? Where's the grace in it? Yeah, I understand that the law says you can stone someone to death, Jesus is going to say, but the one was without sin cast the first stone. See, that's, that's the old law. That's judicial. Judicial said, I could stone that woman to death. But the new says, the spiritual side of things, with the law fulfilled is, okay, can you do that and be just? No. I can't do any of those things and be just because I'm a sinner. Saved by grace. Thank you, Jesus. In Matthew 5 and 18, <clears throat> we'll go back to that. Second verse. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or strokes shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. So I, I took a picture right here, and it didn't. you can't read all of the pieces, unfortunately. But you have a jot and a tittle. The jot is on the left-hand side. 
and it is the smallest, it's the 10th Hebrew letter, the 10th letter in the Hebrew alphabet, but it's the smallest of the 10, of, of all of them. I'm sorry, it's the smallest of all of them. So it would be like the smallest of all letters. For us, I, I don't even know. That would have to be an A, an E, an I, U, whatever. I don't know. An I, maybe. Um, but it's the littlest. In other words, he says the smallest piece. Doesn't matter what it is. Not a jot. The smallest or a tittle. And that one is a little harder. If you look at where I circled it right there, you see the difference between those two? Same, Everything's the same except for that one thing. It would be like the difference between a capital O and a capital Q. It was just one little tiny thing that differentiated one from the other. That's small. That's something that uh, someone who was a scribe or someone who was new, they don't have the ink just right, and it's simple to do. But he's saying this is so perfect that nothing, not one jot, not one tittle, until, until it's the end. Now, you and I can't say that because we're not perfect. But he is. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away. That's the other thing. The heavens, when he says heaven, he's talking about the heavens. That means the universe. The whole entire universe, in a blink of an eye, everything will be decimated. Why? Because if there's such thing as antimatter, it's God. God is antimatter. He is that which will destroy everything that was created. And to think about it in that way is <laughs> he started creation and it's never stopped. So in the blink of an eye, he's going to stop what he started in the beginning just that quick. And it says that the heavens, that's every heavenly body star and the earth will melt in a fervent heat that will be destroyed. That's an amazing thought. I've actually, one of the cool things that I did this, it's been a while ago, but studying how perfectly aligned everything has to be in the cosmos, in the universe. They were showing just one, one degree of wobble in any one planetary system that we have would cause a chaotic twist in the galaxy and everything would collide together. Just, just, just one small little thing out of place. It's like, have you ever been pulling the trailer and everything's going good and all of a sudden the trailer starts doing this? Well, you got one of two choices. You can either speed up and try and pull out of it or you can slow down and hope that it don't. That's, but that, what happened right there? I had no idea. Something shifted. Something wasn't right. That's how small it's going to be whenever everything is destroyed. It's just one instant and everything goes, it's gone. But thankfully, we won't be a part of that because we will have already been... And then a new heaven and a new earth will come and it will sit down on the earth and then we'll live on a new earth. That's going to be awesome. So 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 28. What is the final thing? Um, and these verses prove a lot of theology that's incorrect. That's the one great thing. That's why I love the fact that now we do book by book by book because you can't skip anything. You can't skip over a topic you don't like, and whenever you get to it, you have to deal with it. But if I can, I can preach topically, which is what we used to do, and that is, I'm not going to lie, that is so easy. Because you know what? I just come up with a topic, I find six or eight good verses that go along with it, and I just prove a point. And the whole time, and I've done this before, the whole time my point was wrong. Because I was hyper-focused on one thing, and I never took it in the context of the whole passage, or of the whole book, or more of the whole Word of God. So, 
1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 28, there are several things we learn here. It's the order of resurrection he's talking about. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Right? So that's why Ainsley had another question. She said, I don't understand why are the angels called the son, the sons of God. Jesus is called the son of God, but he's also called son of man. But people are always called, also called the sons of man. Well, capitalization has a big, big part to play in that. But that goes even in this right here. Because Christ was fully, truly God and truly man. He was both. So in him, the fact that, why can he be called the son of God? Because he was actually the son of God in the flesh, and he was the son of God in the spirit. He's the son of God. People don't think of it like that because they don't look at his humanity. Jesus was God's son in the flesh. He was born of a woman, and he was the son of God. I mean, I, I never thought of it like that before because all we see is God is Jesus' divinity. And he was a divine creature, but guess what? He was flesh. And as of flesh, his father was God because the Spirit is the one that moved upon Mary and he was born. So, but in each, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, after that, those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he does what? This is the thing that blows my mind with people. When he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and authority and power, he does what? You, uh, Yes, there's a Father and a Son and a Spirit. It says it right there. Christ at his coming, then comes the end, whenever Christ hands over the kingdom to God the Father. When he has abolished all rule and authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. That's Jesus. Jesus reigns until everything is subject to him. The last enemy, here's the great part, the last enemy that will be abolished is death. And we see that at the end of Revelation. Death, hell, the grave, everything is thrown into the lake of fire. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. That's God. God has put everything under the subjection of Christ. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is expected who put all things in, subjected, in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself also will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him so that God may be all in all. Come on, Paul. I mean, that's what I'm talking about right there. What is he saying is is that God is the author and the finisher, the omega, the alpha, the omega. He's everything. And the only reason that Christ had the authority he has is exactly what he told those disciples. Because the Father has given me all power and authority in heaven and earth. But there's coming a day, because of what the Father did for the Son, whenever he is finished, and in Revelation at the very end, whenever we see everything cast into the, the lake of fire, guess what he does to it? He gives it back to his Father. Because it belongs to him. That's, that's honor. At the end, Jesus doesn't try to keep this kingdom for himself. He just said, thank you, Father, for the opportunity to serve you and to save your church and to save this bride that you have for me. And then he hands it right back to his Father. That's amazing. But there are people who will tell you there's only one. And I don't understand how that's even a possibility. Jesus Christ was here. The Father never left the throne. 
God the Father can never leave the throne. If he leaves the throne, everything is chaos. He is the only thing that holds everything together. If Sunday nights hasn't taught you that, you're not listening very well. God is on his throne, and that is where he stays. If it could be any other way, God would have come here himself and left and vacated the throne, and we wouldn't have had a son. There would have been no reason for a spirit. Jesus Christ rises up out of the water. The Father speaks from heaven, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. The Spirit of God descends and fills the, spirit of, fills the body of Jesus. They're all three there at one time. There's so much truth in this word that even when you're looking for one thing, you find all kinds of other things. Are you looking for the truth? Because it's revealing itself over and over and over. So all will be accomplished. Again, in 5 and 18, he says that until... None of this will pass away until all of it is accomplished. Well, it will be accomplished that day. And on that day, once that happens in Revelation, oh, thank you, Lord. All this is over. And But here's the sad part, guys. As a tree falls, such as it will lie. That's, that's where you find yourself. Where you find yourself when Christ returns, that's where you're going to be. 5 and 19 ends this. Whoever then annuls, one of the least of these commandments, and teaches others to do the same, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. This was another question that Ainsley had. She asked the question, she said, I don't understand that. Why does James say that? James 3 and 1, let there not be many masters because they'll receive the greater condemnation. She said, we're all going to be condemned if we're all going to be judged by everything, but there's a difference. As Judges 21 and 25 tells us that. That was a time. Why were there judges? Because everybody did what was right in their own eyes. They didn't worry about the commandments of God. They didn't worry about the law. They worried about nothing. Well, look around you. How are people living their lives? They, they're a law unto themselves. They do exactly what they want, when they want, how they want. They write doctrines of their own that have 148 rules that you have to follow just to enter the kingdom of heaven. I mean, that's ridiculous. Right? You have other religions that have three or four volumes of a book to explain this book because you're too stupid to understand what the Word of God says. Whenever this Word tells me that if I'm filled with the Spirit of God and I'm saved and born again, that the mystery has been revealed to me. That there's absolutely nothing in here that through prayer and fasting and seeking God that I can't know. There's nothing that will, be, that will not be revealed that will keep me from eternal rest with Him. You don't need anything. You don't. I, I'm not against books because I have lots of things that I read. You don't have to buy 14 volumes of books and read what Anley Stanley has to say or anybody else to know what the Word of God says. Read the Word of God. Pray. Be filled with the Spirit. And it will come to you because that's what the Word actually says. Those who are filled will. Isaiah 9, 13 through 17. It, it aligns with James 3 and 1. I'm going to read it to you. Isaiah 9, 13 through 17. 13. Yet the people do not turn back to him who struck them, nor do they seek the Lord of hosts. So the Lord cuts off, cuts off head and tail from Israel, both palm, branch, bulrush in a single day. Listen to this. The head is the elder and honorable man, and the prophet who teaches falsehood is the tail. So you see that? He cuts off the head. He's calling the head the pat, the one that's at the top, the minister. He cuts that off, and he also cuts off the tail, and the tail being the prophet. He says, For those who guide this people are leading them astray, and those who are guiding 
by them, guided by them are brought into confusion. Therefore the Lord does not take pleasure in their young men, nor does he have pity on their orphans or their widows. For every one of them is godless and an evildoer, and every mouth is speaking foolishness. In spite of all this, his anger does not turn away, and his hand is still stretched out. What you listen to and who you listen to is very important. And whenever you find that that does not align with the Word of God, you need to do something about it. That, to me, is the scariest part of this. Why? That's what James 3 and 1 is telling us. Let there not be many teachers. Let there not be many preachers. Let there not be many evangelists. Because why? They'll receive the greater condemnation. Because he's, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he said right there, he says that he will not, his anger does not turn away. I don't want to be found in that place. It is a terrible thing to fall in the hands of a wrathful living God. And that's exactly what he can be whenever the time is right. The last thing being, look in verse 19. It never says you're losing your salvation. Let's get that straight right quick if you don't mind so that we're on the same page. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. It didn't say they would be kicked out of the kingdom of heaven. Do you notice that person's in the kingdom of heaven? You see that? Because there's people who will tell you, and I, it's been taught that way, and I've taught it this way, but I know it's wrong, that that means that you will not be in the kingdom of heaven. That is not what it says. That is not what it says. It does not say that at all. It says he will be the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Well, if you can go with the great and you're okay with that, yeah, that means the one who did great is in the kingdom of heaven. They're both phrased the same exact way. Don't, don't be led astray by stuff that's not true because people will try to scare you and try to scare you and try to scare you. And that's not what this... This is not something that you have to purposefully try to scare a person with. Why does it say that it is the way it is? Why is this such a hard thing? Because the truth cuts. It's like a double-edged sword. I don't have to try and convict you. I don't have to try to fear monger. All I got to do is tell you what the word of God says. And if your life does not align with it, it's going to scare you. Like it's going to shake you to your core because you're going to go, this is, wow, because guess what? It does it to me too, guys. I know this to be true because my life is not perfect. And then I read something and it go, I go, oh no, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me. One of the biggest ones is James 4 and 17. To know to do good and do it not is a sin. How scary is that? I didn't even sin. I just didn't do what I knew was right. So I just didn't do what I knew was right. Like I know that it's right and I use this all the time. I know that it's right to pick up something that I drop on the floor. I know that if I throw something at the garbage can and it misses that I should go over there and pick it up and put it in because that's my responsibility. It becomes sin in my life. Well, that's not that easy. That's what it said. What is good? Good is something that's beneficial to other people. To know to do good, to do righteousness, to do that which is godlike, to do what I should do, to know to go to work, to know that when I'm at work, I work because my employer's paying me and I don't just spend a whole bunch of time sleeping or not doing my job. That's not good. Like you're not doing what's good. That one right there is one. I remember when I first read that, I went, surely not, God. Surely not. I mean, I understand whenever I sin by committing sin, that's bad, but you can't, you can't hold everything against me. And he says, you know what? 
I don't, but I do. I hold you at a higher standard because you know that's the truth. And I gave you a conscience and you're convicted. Now live out the convictions that your conscience has. Listen to what the Spirit has to say. Because that's, it, it shouldn't be as hard as it is, but we as human beings do just like this right here. I can make anything seem okay. Well, I'm just doing it a little bit, or I'm just doing it this way, Lord. No, guys, just do what the Word says. And do it the way that the Word says to do it. And remember the purpose as we get into the rest of this, when he says he came to fulfill this law, he meant he came to perfect it. Perfection is what he's looking for in you and I. And thank God that's only through the blood of Jesus. Thank God. There's a lot of grace and mercy and long-suffering that comes along with that. If not, we would all be crushed. Father, thank you again for your word and thank you for all those who are here, Lord. We ask that you would be with those who aren't able to be here yet again. Touch them in their body, in their mind, God. Those who are astray, Lord, those who have left the fellowship completely, Lord, those that you once spoke to, God, that you stirred them, we ask that they would come back to the fold. Father, it doesn't have to be here, God. We just want them to be in your presence, Lord, in a church that worships you in spirit and truth. Be with us as we go into the fellowship, Lord, today. God, be with us as we worship you in song and in spirit, God. I pray that the word today, we remove all those things that are in the way that we can hear the word. It can be engrafted into who we are, and it can help us in the coming days, years of our life. This in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.